You understand the importance of enabling Republican candidates in Pennsylvania. At Get Elected, we focus exclusively on helping Republican candidates run winning campaigns. Visit getelected.org to learn more. Good afternoon, Pittsburgh. Welcome to the Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM and 99.1 FM. I'm your host, Sam DeMarco, Chairman of the Republican Committee of Allegheny County, and I'm joined by my trusty sidekick, John Schneider, the Executive Director of RCAC, and our producer, Dazzling Daryl. So, folks, welcome to the show here. We're very excited because we have a couple great guests today, and I want to start this thing off by getting to our first one. I mean, he's this congressman had just hosted a telephone town hall in his district last night to discuss back-to-school and current challenges that the school districts are facing. Those include things like staff shortages, budget challenges, etc. He also serves as the Republican leader of the House Agriculture Committee and has spent the last few weeks visiting different farms in the area preparing for the 2023 Farm Bill. I don't know how many people out there realize that agriculture is the number one industry in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So I want to welcome to the show the Dean of the of the Pennsylvania Delegation in the United States Congress, Congressman G.T. Thompson. G.T., welcome to the show. Sam, thank you so much. Great to be on with all of you today. It's a privilege and opportunity. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you being here, sir. Now, my my pleasure. It's been uh, obviously it's uh, you know it's been some challenging times here, uh, obviously for Americans with this all you know unprecedented inflation and. Now we are, you know, it's time for the kids to get back uh, to school and, quite frankly, in school. And, you know, just uh, the, all the things that have been facing our, our kids and our parents and our teachers for, for a couple of years now. So we're uh, really in unprecedented times. And the, we, we absolutely are. And, I mean, I know that you as well as I saw the, t- the uh, results of the study, you know, I think it was last week, talking about yes. how the, the step back our kids, the biggest decline in test scores since the early 90s, right? And all because our schools were shut down. No, that's right. Uh, English, uh, obviously, which has continued, those English skills and scores continue to decline. And and for the first time ever, math, uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, really have cheated our our kids, especially when, you know, when the health science really said uh, uh, that we we should not be, you know, we, we need to be, there was no significant danger. Obviously, you have some children with pre-existing conditions, and I get that part. But the average average child uh, with uh, with good health uh, really wasn't at any significant any risk. And so, uh, yeah, we've uh, um, you know we've uh, we've unfortunately gone back backwards. We've we've lost uh, success, and you know, and you look at uh, kids with um, you know children with special needs. Uh, those. Uh, those children that were um, going into the trades, career and technical education area, I'm very passionate about. That's a great pathway mm-hmm. to success in life. Really hard, to, really hard to teach and to learn uh, those types of uh, uh, career and technical education careers, uh, you know, uh, remotely. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer that you know there's a role for virtual learning, but it should be to to complement, uh, uh, not to uh, supplant or replace uh, in person. Learning, it's um, and it's not just subjects that we talked about uh, and the loss of learning that occurred. But quite frankly, being in school is like it's being in a community, right? You really, it's an ongoing civics lesson about cooperation and communications and getting along and and uh, and working together. And those are those are critical skills for everyday citizens. 
Well, they they absolutely are, and you know, I mean, it's not just like, as, as you point out here, it's not just the education that our kids have lost, but their ability to learn the social skills that are important to, to just growing up and you know learning how to interact, you know, with their fellow citizens. Very disappointing. No, absolutely. So it's uh, it's great to see. From best I can see, uh, my assessment of having uh, and out visiting schools. I was just in one in Jefferson County uh, yesterday. You know the you know the the schools I'm going to. The kids are back in the classroom. Uh, teachers are in the classroom. Uh, it is, um, and they're off to a to a good start. And now I I hope and pray that, uh, that Governor Wolf, who's been known to interfere with those types of things, interfere with uh, local policy set by our by our local school boards that. That, that, that does not occur this year. Uh, you know, the other thing I'm seeing, Sam, is uh, in my visits to current technical education programs, I'm seeing enrollment way up there. Um, I mean, we're talking, you know, just a few years ago, most of those programs were under under capacity, right? But mm-hmm. there was just not not as many kids as, that should be involved in those programs. And today, without exception for me so far, the programs I've visited, uh, they're full to capacity, and quite frankly, they have a waiting list. And I, and I think that speaks well to the fact that uh, parents and students are recognizing that those are great ways, great ways to uh, pathways to success in life. And you know, when these these kids uh, get to the end of their education, they'll not only have a, a diploma in one hand, they'll have several job offers in the other, uh, and that's a great way to start life out. Well, you're absolutely right, and I mean, uh, you know, one of the things that concerns so many of the folks who are familiar with workforce challenges or we're losing the capacity to actually make things, you know, with our hands in this country and here in Allegheny County, where we're located, you know, uh, the Allegheny conference did a study a couple of years ago. They called it inflection point, And they talked about how by 2025, we would be short 80,000 workers. So it's not just finding bodies, but it's finding people that are skilled you know, to be able to do these things with their hands. And that's why, you know, I'm a big promoter of folks taking in and going into the trades. I, I don't know if you know, Congressman, but I originally started out, you know, when I left college, I was a building trades guy. I was a glazer, a guy that works on uh, glass, glass doors, yep. architectural metals, things of that nature. So I worked in Pittsburgh here during Renaissance too. you know, when PPG Center, uh, Mellon Center, and Oxford was going up. So, you know, I'm familiar with it. I understand it and uh, don't understand how we got to the point where folks were telling our kids that the only path to success, you know, was going to college and getting a four-year degree. Yeah, that, that's just obviously it was not true. And I think there was a combination of things that happened at that point. Uh, you know, there was this mentality that every, every youth should go on to a four-year college, which is, you know, not, not just not true, it's just not fair either. Every... Every child, every youth has different gifts, and and, um, and I'm very passionate about career and technical education. I've been uh, now for, for, well, actually for more than a decade, I have been the co-chair for the Congressional Career and Technical Education Caucus. I had the privilege and the honor of the last day of July in 2018 of standing in the Oval Office when President Trump signed into law uh, my legislation that, that modernized career and technical education. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, that was legislation that really... Uh, we, we we did an investment in, in that pathway, but more than that, we made changes so 
that we can address the bias and the stigma that, that seems to have been out there for decades and generations about uh, individuals going into those jobs. Those are great paying, uh, family sustaining jobs. Uh, we, we push the uh, awareness of career and technical education down into the middle schools. And you know what? We brought people who signed the front of a paycheck, not the back of a paycheck, mm-hmm. uh, to the, to the table with these schools, you know, so that they could serve on, on really advisory committees, um, so that we were, were really providing, so we wanted to encourage programs that were meeting, uh, the employer needs in, in that local area where these schools are located. And, uh, and, uh, so far, you know, that, it seems to be, you know, we're making some good progress there. Well, we appreciate your tremendous work in this area. I think it's very important and hopefully <clears throat> we'll continue to see this pay off as we move forward. Now, oh, yeah, I think so too. I mean, I call it learning to earn, you know, and really it's, uh, we've gone a long ways and I'm part of that legislation has been a big part of that of restoring rungs on the ladder of opportunity. Now, Congressman, as the Dean of the Pennsylvania delegation, you know, it would be remiss for me not to talk to you about this upcoming election here on November 8th and some of the issues at hand. Now, you know, Labor Day, just a, you know, a few days ago, a few days past here, now people really start to pay attention, you know, to what's taking place, you know, what the issues are out there. And <clears throat> how do we get people back to focus on the things that matter to them and their families, such as this sky-high record inflation, highest it's been in 40 years, the gas prices, you know, the uh, what's taking place at the southern border, the invasion. I call it the southern border, and the resulting fentanyl, you know, epidemic and overdose deaths here in Pennsylvania. I think we're the fourth highest in the country in regards to fentanyl deaths. So how do we get people to focus back on these issues and not on what the left is trying to get us to, you know, focus on by saying, hey, you know, shiny object over here, we're going to do this. Looky, and don't pay attention to what's draining your pocketbooks. Yeah, well, I think a big part of that is, you know, and, and, you know, and people know that. People know what what makes a, a difference in their lives. Is, uh, you know, there are a lot of issues out there, and quite frankly, you, you see the – uh, the the liberals of Washington, the liberals of Harrisburg, that you know that uh, really are in cahoots with uh, you know a lot of the what I call the mean streak media, you know, and and they're they're pushing their talking points and they they push them until they f- they figure out for themselves that they're failing. Uh, they they you know they're they're assuming that you know uh, the the families of Pennsylvania, the families of the United States are you know, are not smart and that they're going to be able to be distracted. The shiny object approach, mm-hmm. which is, uh, Sam, a great, great way to describe it. But the fact is that th- this election, uh, you know, if I had to put two two issues right up front on this election, it's it's 2G, gas and groceries. Every time, every time uh, a Pennsylvania family goes to, uh, a, you know, a Pittsburgh family goes to fill up that vehicle, whether it's a car or a truck, I mean, it's a reality check on just how bad the, the energy policies are under Democratic leadership. You know, uh, you know let's go back uh, a matter of uh, of two years ago. We were, you know, we were paying, um, you know, close to two dollars a gallon, maybe two dollars and thirty cents. Sometimes it was it was less than that. And um, and the fact is that we're, you know, we're 
right now we're pushing four dollars a gallon. We're we're over three dollars. It's at least a dollar more uh, than what we paid in the past. Uh, the first fee is gas, and the second one's groceries. I think the re- second reality check comes uh, when you go to the grocery store and it's time to get those those staples that your family needs, right, to be able to provide for their nutritional needs, be able to put that food on the table. It's a it's a sticker shock at what, what the cost is. And all of that was because of just ill-minded uh, uh, Democrat socialist policies really coming out of the White House when you look at, at the cause of this inflation. It all started with energy, and, and energy is a big driver in the cost of everything else, including including food costs. And so I... You know, I, um, I, you know, I, I don't think that anyone's being fooled in, in terms of what the problems are and and who's who's responsible for that. And you know, the correction, quite frankly, it's an election. You know, we're blessed that we can make this make changes at the at the ballot box, uh, and we do that on a on an annual basis in our country. Um, it's not a that is not a privilege that um, all all you know, citizens of other countries necessarily have. Um, and so, but I, I don't think anybody's being fooled by uh, the, the shiny, bright objects, the, the talking points uh, that, are, that are being advanced here by the, you know, the, the liberal media and, quite frankly, liberal elected officials. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and we are blessed in that we know what the solutions to many of these problems are. I mean, we can just look back to the policies that you and others in Congress put in place just a few years ago that made us energy independent, you know, that, uh, that made us globally competitive, you know, so our businesses that allowed businesses to repatriate hundreds of billions of dollars that they then invested back here in the U S which generated thousands, tens of thousands of jobs. So we know what the answers are. We just need to get the leadership in place, you know, that can make those decisions again. That's right. I mean, let's face it, by all metrics, all the things that you've named and so much more, you know, the fact that uh, the, uh, the Taliban was was unheard of, you know, just, a, you know, they had gone and I mean, they had just kind of disappeared um, out of the out of our out of, out of the media and quite frankly, out, out of our um, influencing us. Um, and there's so so much more you could add to that that. You know, America was a greater place with the right leadership. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting. One of those bright, shiny things now that they're doing is they're attacking the whole. Uh, anyone who is committing to, committed to uh, restoring America to greatness, uh, the, the attack on MAGA or, the, or, you know, making America great again. How, how, did, how, how is that ever a bad thing? Uh, don't we want? Uh, don't we all, as citizens, no matter what we're registered to vote or whether we're registered or not to vote, and I encourage people to get registered? Um, you know, don't we all want uh, you know what's a, a better future for our children? Don't we want to pass along a nation and a commonwealth uh, that is greater than what we experienced in our lifetime? Um, and so it, it's amazing to me that now they're down to so thin of an argument come this election that the attack is on uh, demonizing anyone that, that wants to be able to pass along a, uh, a better commonwealth, a better country than what, what they receive from their parents. Well, you know, you can tell that they're desperate because, you know, in my role as a chairman of the county committee, I pay attention to the advertising and the things I see out there. 
and, and Republic, or excuse me, Democrats have trotted out the tired old trope that Republicans want to cut Social Security and Medicare. And it's like, you know, get real. You know, when are, when are they going to stop, stop these just false attacks and focus on solving the problems that are sitting right yeah. there in front of them? No, that's right. And it couldn't be any further from the truth, quite frankly. We want to, well, we want to protect Social Security. We want to strengthen Social Security. That, quite frankly, that is money that uh, every person that's eligible for it contributed to. They're, they that came out of their paychecks, and we have a, I think, a responsibility to make sure that we we protect and save Social Security. Same thing for Medicare. But but here's some hard facts. You know, we just the Democrats in a very in a completely partisan way uh, passed the Inflation Reduction Act, um, and. Uh, the uh, within that, um, it, it's going to cost taxpayers four hundred and seventy-two billion dollars, so a half a trillion dollars in additional costs. And but speaking of Medicare, it also cuts the Democrats. There were no Republicans that voted for this bill that Joe Biden signed. It cuts Medicare by an estimated quarter trillion dollars. Wow! So, uh, yeah. Uh, so the the the. The truth and the facts are are actually completely opposite of what what these liberal Democrats and the liberal media are peddling. And and then uh, I tell you, you really want to get people upset, Sam. Uh, just remind them of the fact that's the same bill that empowers an army of IRS agents uh, by providing eighty billion dollars in new funding uh, that will be used to hire eighty seven thousand new IRS agents. Uh, basically to go after regular Americans and their family-owned small businesses. Right. If they were going to take and hire 87,000 new people, I'd prefer they'd be Marines or police officers. Okay. I'd go for a few Border Patrol agents. Yeah. You know what? Hey, I'm, I'm happy happy to have some Border Patrol folks as well. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is just, you know, I guess, you know, every election cycle, and I'm, I'm an old guy here, uh, you hear folks talk about this is the most important election of our lifetimes. But when you really look at what's happening now, I mean, you talk about the Border Patrol, our southern border, we've had over 3 million people illegally cross into this country. Over 800,000, we have no idea who they are or where they are. You know, they've gotten a record number of folks that, uh, you know, on the terrorist watch list. All right? I mean, our... our national security is at risk and folks don't seem to want to do anything about it. And when you have governor Abbott who sends a few busloads of these folks to Washington DC or to New York or Chicago, Oh my gosh, all these sanctuary city mayors are all up in arms, but yet they won't tell Biden to secure the Southern border. What can you yeah, guys you, do in yeah, Congress? You guys, yeah. You got the mayor of Chicago goes ballistic over 50 uh, illegals that uh, have been bused to a city that proudly uh, proclaims themselves to be a sanctuary city. You know, uh, the fact is, uh, Sam, that uh, every state is a border state today. Mm. Every state has been impacted this. Uh, your earlier comments, you talked about fentanyl and the amount of lives that have been lost uh, because of these porous open borders. So it's not just the people coming coming here and we you know we're we're a country of immigrants we welcome people our 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 family members we we all probably um you know record and track what what countries our our family's point of origins were you know whether it was last generation or 10 generations ago 
Uh, but the fact is, they came in legally. And we have a process to come here. Like, now, I'm not saying the legal process isn't bureaucratic and needs to be improved. Absolutely is, and I'm committed to do that. Um, uh, you know, that's part of what we need to do. We, we need to seal off the southern border um, and seal it off with, you know, get it down with, with finish the fencing. You know, the walls that were down there were amazing. I had a chance in my agriculture duties to, to be in Yuma, Arizona, and, and to visit fields with farmers that are right on the border and uh, uh, yeah, the, growing amazing produce feeding a lot of our country. Um, and it was easy to see the, the, the wall that was put forward under President Trump's um, leadership, and it was effective. I mean, it was well-built. It, was, it really was infallible. The problem was President Biden was elected. He basically on uh, immediately sent home all those contractors, continued to pay them. Their equipment and all that steel yet to be used is still sitting there on the border, and every day these folks and you all you've seen pictures of them. I think most people have seen pictures of them. They're just streaming across the border, and it's not like they're coming. The focus used to be on Mexico, and then it was on Honduras and Guatemala, countries like Honduras and Guatemala. Um, you know these these folks are coming from over uh, probably at this point a hundred and at least a hundred and thirty different countries. They're coming around the world, and we don't know who they are. Um, uh, and, uh, and we do have legal ways to come into this country, but they're violating our laws. And quite frankly, um, it, it's, you know, the fentanyl, um, the, uh, the gangs, uh, the, uh, uh you know, arms, all, all the things are, are just, um, I, I had a chance to interview, uh, uh, well, we were driving along and, and there was a border patrol, uh, truck that was coming along and I, you know, I, the, the farmer stopped, rancher, I got out, and I introduced myself to this young lady who works for uh, the, the Border Patrol, uh, just to thank her for her service, right? I mean, it seemed like the mm-hmm. right thing to do. And uh, and I said, well, how are things going? And she just kind of laughed and smiled, I guess, and looked at me and said, you know, we're just an Uber service today. You know, they come across, they get, you know, we take them in our cars, our trucks, buses, and we take them wherever they want to go. And that's what they've been instructed under the Biden administration to do. Wow. Well, Congressman, listen, I know that you have to go, but is there is there any message you would like to leave our listeners with, you know, prior to November 8th? You bet. Elections make a difference. Now, we've seen that. Our, our nation was, uh, was doing greater than I can remember in my lifetime um, just, uh, what would that be, 20 months ago. Uh, 21 months ago, and then uh, now we're, we're uh, American families are suffering and they're struggling, and that was a result of the of the last election or the 2020 election. So, I just encourage folks to to uh, if you're not registered to vote, get registered to vote. Um, if you don't think it makes a difference, just look around. You know, pay attention when you're filling up with gas or you're buying groceries for your family, uh, and if for no other reason, uh, do it to honor. Uh, and show respect for those uh, American men and women who served in, in uniform and fought hard to defend our rights. Uh, for them alone, it's uh, it's a worthy thing to do to vote. And then to think long and hard, quite frankly, we've got, as dean of the congressional delegation, uh, Republican congressional delegation, I'll, I'll be the dean of the full delegation with this next election, but we, we've got great Republican candidates are running. Uh, we've got Jeremy Schaefer that's uh, on the ballot, and he is just uh, he's got an outstanding 
uh, man, a family man, a businessman, a manufacturer. Um, but we have folks like uh, Jeremy uh, in uh, uh, in every congressional district uh, across the, across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. These Republican candidates, and I, um, you know, I would be remiss just not to encourage you to. Uh, support let's restore some checks and balances on this out of control administration absolutely hey ladies and gentlemen congressman gt thompson gt thank you so much for joining us today chairman thank you so much great to be with you you got it have a great day take care ladies and gentlemen you're listening to the elephant in the room here on wjas 1320 a.m with campaign season in full swing hard-working committees around the country are fighting for every vote Get Elected helps committees prioritize their activities, determine which voters need their attention, and what they need to hear to vote Republican. Visit getelected.org to learn more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Elephant in the Room, here on 1320 AM, WJAS. I'm your host, Sam DeMarco, and back here with our second segment, With we have a special guest here. But before we talk to her, what I'd like to do is speak to any of our listeners who would like to sponsor our program, and perhaps by advertising, please reach out to John Schneider at the Republican Committee of Allegheny County at 412-458-0068. Now, so if you're interested in getting your message out or supporting us or our conservative cause, then we'd love to have you. Look forward to hearing from you. Now back to our second segment here. You know, you heard in the first segment from Congressman G.T. Thompson, the dean of the Pennsylvania delegation in, in Congress. Now we're going to switch modes here a little bit. We're going to talk to somebody who's a candidate for the state house here in Harrisburg. Uh, her name is Pat Tilka, and Pat is running for in the 42nd legislative district. Pat, welcome to the elephant in the room. Thank you very much, Sam, and thank you for having me. Now, for our listeners, tell them where the 42nd district is. 42nd District is Baldwin Township, Castle Shannon, Dormont, Mount Lebanon, and parts of Upper St. Clair. Okay, when you say parts of Upper St. Clair. Ward 1, Ward 2, Ward 3, District 3, and Ward 4, District 1. Okay, now tell us why you're running. Well, I'm actually running because I want to protect parental rights, protect seniors and the disabled, and grow Pennsylvania's economy. I'm really running to give you a voice. Uh, We have uh, been very silent. Uh, We've been silenced in our district. And um, I think that we have a a majority of people who just don't have a voice. And I want to protect the freedom of voice. I want to give you a voice. Now, I know part of your district includes Mount Lebanon. Yes. And I know you talked about something. You mentioned parental rights. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I know... There's some things happening in Mount Lebanon right now that are, you know, front and center in regards to this this battle. That's that's right. And uh, first of all, let me tell you a little bit about I am an educator myself. I have a bachelor uh, science degree in education from IUP. My two adult children are both educators. My daughter is a uh, special ed teacher at uh, Trinity Elementary School. So she's an autistic support teacher. And my son's also an educator. So education has always been a part of who I am. Uh, And again, I've worked at uh, St. Thomas More School uh, as a librarian educator. I was uh, a parent there as well. And what I know is that uh, parents should have the right to be in charge of their child's education. 
Uh, I again, I've been a parent. I know what it's like. Each child has different gifts. Not it's not a one size fits all. However, one of the reasons that I decided to start to run was because when I looked at the voting record of my opponent, uh, when there is a bill that was uh, put out in front of him, he voted against having transparency in education. He voted against transparency in school budget. And I think it's very important that we, as parents, are allowed to be in charge of our own child's education. Novel idea, isn't it? That you as a parent might be able to have a say in the child who you're raising their education. Correct. Well, correct. Because it's funny you say that. I was thinking uh, the other day that I, I question a lot. Uh-huh. I do a lot of questioning. And I think, well, we are, everyone is on board. I shouldn't say everyone. People are on board with this woke ideal ideologies. My question is, these same people, if we flip the switch and we change the ideology to something on a very conservative uh, platform, would they be supportive of allowing the government to take charge of their their child's education? Well, we know that the answer is no. I mean, these are people that, you know, their side, you know, burnt down half the country back in 2020, okay? These are the same people that have a conniption over things. But you know what? Here's the thing. We're not disagreeing that folks are teaching things on the left. We're disagreeing on the content that they're teaching. You know, CRT, for example, trying to tell a small child that you're either a victim or an oppressor based upon the color of your skin. I mean, where does this come from? Where, where do they get the idea they want to talk to kids about gender theory? You know, I mean, I thought... I mean, I remember, I'm old enough to remember being told by the the left about how follow the science, right? We follow the science. You know, the DNA, you know, the chromosomes. Uh, They don't seem to follow that, and they want to force it down the throats of our kids at an early age because they know adults aren't going to swallow it, right? They're trying to indoctrinate our kids. So, I, I mean, I know you, like many of us, you know, our motto is educate, not indoctrinate, right? Right. So we definitely need to have parental rights in our schools because I think the one good thing that came out of the pandemic, <clears throat> excuse me, I know we heard earlier in the first segment when we talked about the decline in test scores of these kids and how they've been set back, you know, by trying to learn on Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever. But the one good thing is it gave parents window into what those kids have really been being taught right Uh, absolutely and i think a lot of this is just really noise what we really need to do is make sure that our kids know how to read to write to do math because regardless of whether they are going to go off to a to uh, a four-year degree or if they are going to go to trade school they need to know these same basic of principles of education and that's what's going to make uh make them successful and i used to always tell my kids that i don't care what you choose as a career as long as you do it the, to the best of your ability that right. was it and whether you were going to be a ditch digger you were going to build that best ditch in the world and uh, uh again they both uh went off to to college and they're doing quite well but they they work very hard well 
and you know, we jumped right into this. We start talking about your district, you know, and why you're running. <coughs> but tell our listeners, you know, about how long you've lived in your district, you know, and, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. You know, Sure. Well, I uh, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. I've lived in Mount Lebanon for the past thirty eight years, and I grew up a po- so carpetbagger is what you well, say, right? I'm a carpetbagger, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I grew up uh, as a blue collar kid in a small town of Westmoreland County, uh-huh. and my dad worked at a brewery. And my mother was a housewife, and she had a small business where she did income tax returns during income tax season. But the big thing, the takeaway, is that I'm still that's. The, the values that they instilled in me, which were education, hard work, family, they have, they are instilled. They mm-hmm. have not left me. Those are the same values that I gave to my children. But I see the progressives tearing those down. And as you said, they're indoctrinating instead of educating. They want handouts instead of hard work. And they want, you know, governments taking away parental rights. And I want to preserve these principles for the future generation mm-hmm. and to say, you know, to make our country in Pennsylvania strong again. And when I, I grew up, not everybody went to college. There were a lot of people. We still had the mills that were working. Uh-huh. And a lot of my classmates went off to the mills, which was wonderful. I still have, uh, you know, contact with many of them. Regardless of where, where they were led, whether it was an edu- a college education or trades, they have all still have the same values that were instilled in me. They have wonderful families. They have wonderful lives. And that's, where, that's what we really need get, to get back to. Well, that's what we want to keep them doing, right? And we want to take and keep them paying attention to what's taking place here and focused on those kitchen table issues, right? The issues that matter. And uh, that's what we were talking about with our previous guest. You know, and we have inflation, you know, at 40-year high, okay? And even though raises, wages are increasing at a rate of about 5%, there's still people are losing money. They're falling behind because it's not keeping up with the rate of inflation. We have 401ks and savings accounts that are worth 13% less than they were a year ago, okay? We have interest rates that are rising, you know, and that's affecting everybody that has a variable rate mortgage. You know, it's affecting anybody with credit card debt. I mean, we have gas prices that even though they've been coming down temporarily here because of some things that the Biden administration is doing to sort of hide the problem. I mean, they're releasing a, a, a million barrels of oil a day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. They're putting this on the market. And then I was with a guy last night at a dinner for uh, an energy company. It was telling me this, this company, he's the company's European. They do business in Venezuela. They're not, they weren't being paid by Venezuela because of uh, sanctions had been put on Venezuela during the Trump administration. The Biden administration comes in, didn't lift the sanctions, but once you know it, you know, a couple months ago, they say, you know what? You can start taking trade, you know, for the money you're owed, but in crude oil. So what's happening is the Biden administration is allowing Venezuela to pay this company, you know, it's like to the tune of like $40 million a month is to pay this company in crude oil because that oil is hitting the world market. 
with together with what he's taken out of the, the, the strategic petroleum reserve is increasing the amount of oil out there from a supply perspective. And that's what's part of what's temporarily lowering our prices, you know. So <clears throat> all of these things and the groceries, you, know, you can't go to the supermarket and check out and not realize that, wait a minute, you know, I'm paying more than I used to and I'm taking away half of what I used to, you know. So how do you keep these things front and center with the voters that you're talking to when you're knocking on their doors? Well, and and that's a very interesting point because when you go back, let's go back to COVID. I was uh, working um, uh, as a hospice representative and because everything was shut down and our seniors were not allowed to, they, they were putting our seniors who were in uh, nursing homes on hospice because our nursing staff was not allowed to enter. So um, I, as a representative, my job was eliminated. Whereas anybody who uh, was in the public sector, their jobs weren't eliminated. Um, I believe that when we talk about jobs and inflation, we forget the middle class. We worry about increasing the minimum wage. We, we think about, you know, um, if you're increasing the minimum wage, well, what about those of us who are in, the, in a position where they're not going to increase it? We're on a salary basis. We're not going to get increased. Uh, so I think there's a lot. We need to bring manufacturing back here. We need to lower the, uh, the taxes for, I know that they're starting to lower them, but it's, it's, the gradual, it's such a gradual lowering of business taxes that I don't, it's, I don't know if we're going to see a real big pop in. And I think it needs to be done you know, more immediate because with the small businesses, especially the ones during COVID, you were shut down. Many of them lost their, their business altogether. Right. If they have been able to survive, they are still struggling, many of them. So those are some things that we really need to talk take a look at because again my my I have always been in private sector I've worked in both profit and uh, nonprofit organizations and I've always had to do critical thinking and I think we we had talked earlier um, when uh, about the fact that I like to do my research I like to do critical thinking and not live in sound bites there's a lot of sound bites out there and again as I say the noise or the shiny objects that everybody wants you to take a look at but the truth is we can't put a band-aid on top of you know a problem or write a blank check and say oh boy we supported this okay where did that money go uh we have to start really taking a look at where's our money going because i believe 